The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. So tonight we're touching a delicate, a difficult subject in our lectures because now we came to talk about the relationship between yoga and spiritual practice generally, as you'll see, and sexuality. And by its very nature, it's a difficult subject. We spoke in the other days about the different yamas from yoga, the different behavioral things. And now we are coming to the fourth of the yamas, which is indeed a pitfall. It can really cause so much trouble, and it has caused so much trouble along history. It's called in Sanskrit Brahmacharya, as you see there. And if you'll open 90-something percent of the yoga books written today, at least the yoga books that mention yama and niyama, because not all the book, yoga books do, you'll find out that Brahmacharya will be translated as celibacy, basically sexual abstinence. So basically somewhere up there seems to say, well, if you want to do yoga for stretching your back, it's okay, it doesn't matter, but if you want to do yoga to reach nirvana, then you should be celibate. Uh, like Buddha who stayed in the jungle, or like the Christian saints who stayed in the desert, or like I don't know which great yogis and whatever, you should stay away from sex. Basically, you cannot have sex and at the same time a formidable spiritual realization. That sounds pretty discouraging and many modern people would say, yeah, that does it. I mean, then yoga is not for me because I'm too young. I cannot take such a decision, whatever. And actually, it's funny that this comes from a total misunderstanding. The word Brahmacharya, first of all, that it does not mean celibacy. The word Brahmacharya, etymologically, comes from Brahma, which is the symbol of the Creator, and means the creative energy, in this case, sexual energy, and Acharya, which means to lay foundation, that means to be firm, to be unshakable. So Brahmacharya means to have the sexual energy stabilized, stable, firm. Actually, the word which fits best, if I were to translate from Sanskrit this concept, is not at all the sexual celibacy or the sexual abstinence, but actually the sexual continence. The word continence is a word which exists in English, in French, in a few other languages, uh, albeit it is a pretty rare word, a pretty seldom used. So many people, if you say, I'm practicing sexual continence, they will say, beg your pardon, what is that? I mean, translate, now give us a gloss. That is what I intend to do. Originally, Brahmacharya meant sexual continence, but for a certain reason, which will appear obvious to you tonight, it has been interpret interpreted by some people as meaning sexual abstinence or celibacy. The first question which comes is actually not this one, what is Brahmacharya, but we have to go a little bit earlier than this and say why the heck should we care at all about, I mean, I'm doing yoga, I'm doing my meditation, I'm doing whatever, you know. Uh, why should my sexual behavior be of any interest to anyone? 
I mean, why did the yogi, I mean, the yogis told us you should not be violent and we understood that one. The yogis told us you should not tell lies and we understood that one. In yoga we have been told this and that. But now they are getting in our bed as well. I mean, why should yoga at all, or any spiritual science for the case, interfere with people's sexual lives? Because if we look in human spirituality, we discover that actually human spirituality always had um, to say something about sex, right? If you go in Christianity, if you go in old Judaism, if you go in Buddhism, wherever you go, there seems to be always something to be said about sexuality and it's most often not something very flattering or very encouraging. On the contrary, most often it would be like spirituality has a denying, a repressive attitude towards sexuality. So the question which comes thereby is of course why? Why is this an issue? Why is this a problem? And why did the yogis have to put such a chapter in their teaching? Well, you would better fasten your seat belts because probably you wouldn't like what you're going to hear, although it's a very constructive thing and it actually gives you wonderful solutions. Solutions that can largely increase the quality of your lives. But in the beginning it seems like a deadlock. The first thing, there are two premises from where we start and which are actually the causes why we are carrying this discussion tonight. The first of the issues is that the yogis say the sexual energy, and this is not only the yogis that say, others have confirmed it, the sexual energy seems to be the basic energy of nature. It seems to be the fundamental energy of the human being. Every cell in your body or every cell in a being of this nature is actually having a phenomenon of division and sexuality. It's moreover, it's more than philosophical. The sexual energy is considered to, by them exactly as Freud came up with this concept of libido. Freud said, if we analyze the human beings, we discover that the ultimate motivation is always derived from sex. Even when you have dreams and whatever you do, libido is the ultimate motivation. So basically, if your sexuality, if your libido, as he called it, is twisted, then automatically you can become the next Mao Zedong and kill a million people or whatever, just because you are frustrated sexually or whatever. That means sexuality, in a mysterious way, seems to be at the root of the human behavior. Well, the yogis have looked upon it in a more constructive way from the standpoint of spiritual practice. And they have simply told us, and this is confirmed by so many facts in spirituality, but let's stick for the time being to yoga, they have told us that the spiritual activity is conditioned by the sexual energy. The sexual energy is a kind of fuel for what we do spiritually, mentally, emotionally. The spiritual energy, the best comparison which I think I have heard mechanically from someone is comparing the sexual energy with the propeller of a boat. Exactly as a boat, if it has no propeller, it cannot move. Exactly in the same way the human being, if it has no sexual energy, it cannot move. Basically, somebody was making a study, and it is funny that this appears in the works of the Christian church and so on, that people who are not having sexual characteristics, they cannot actually be truly creative. Like for example, somebody noticed that in the, in the history of this planet, you will never find an enlightened being, a saint, a genius, or something, which was for example, as a man, castrated. Never. Funny enough, 
the thing is that those two testicles which seem to be the source of our shame and uh, lust and whatever they actually are also the source of genius of power, of creativity and yes, of spirituality, of prayer and all those things and the yogis say exactly this the sexual energy in a mysterious way is like the battery it's like the basic energy if you have it and you use it for it you can derive real benefit basically what the yogis tell is pretty scary they say if you don't use your sexual energy you are going to make yoga for 20 years and you'll get nowhere but that means you will not change ah that you will make your body soft like a dancer's yes that will happen but that's not what we're aiming at in yoga we are aiming at something else aren't we that personal transformation that opening of the consciousness will not happen Ramakrishna Paramahamsa the great 19th century yogi of India he gave it un under a beautiful story he gave it as a wonderful story he said two drunks in Calcutta in the night they just would like to drink some more but all the pubs are closed they are without booze and they, they know that the only place where they can hope to get some booze at that time is somewhere on the opposite side of the Ganges the Ganges is huge in Calcutta it's almost like crossing a sea and uh, there they are they have to cross the Ganges by night so they take a boat it's fog it's a milk like fog it's winter typical winter and they steal a boat they take the oars and they start rowing big time and they row and they row and they row in the big fog and they don't get anywhere by the time a couple of hours pass they start quarreling they have blisters in the hands they change places they start accusing each other man you are stupid you are rowing up and down the river you know you lost direction in this fog look uh, anyhow they keep quarreling <coughs> until the morning they get nowhere when the dawn is coming they see through the fog that actually they are exactly near the point where they started from in the evening one of them says man we are stupid we are so drunk and you know we have been rowing in circles the whole night and we got in the same point at which a young man who was doing his morning washing in the river at that time he looks at them he gets the point immediately because he was sober and he starts laughing and he said no idiots you forgot to untie the boat from the shore so basically you have rowed the whole night in the same spot the yogis tell us exactly this if you don't use your sexual energy you will row and row and row and be in the same spot that means in spite of the most sincere efforts in spiritual development you may do vipassana two hours every day and so on if your sexual energy is exploded spent wasted you are getting nowhere somebody has compared this <coughs> with a kettle of a steam engine exactly as the old steam engines for the railroad they had a the kettle and you had to put wood and burn it and steam it up and increase the pressure and when the pressure was up to a certain limit then the steam engine would go and if you have no pressure it won't go if somebody comes and releases the steam then the steam engine stays it has no power to move that is exactly the deal here the yogis say our sexual energy is like the steam in an engine if it has no power if it has no pressure you don't go anywhere you meditate but when you meditate you expect that at some point you will explode, you will implode, you will move to another quantum level. Well, that will not happen unless you have spare and sexual energy. Sexual energy under pressure. Your kettle must be under pressure and then movement is possible. Then transformation is possible. 
That is why, remember, a boat can be the most perfect transatlantic boat with satellite dishes and first-class saloons and everything. If it has no propeller, it stays in the harbor. The yogis are adamant on this. The sexual energy is the one which paradoxically makes us boil. If you sit and meditate and you have a lot of sexual energy, this pressure makes that after one hour of meditation or after one day or after one year or whatever, there is a kind of transformation. I am accumulating and then I am transforming. If there is no pressure, I am like a flat tire. If I have no pressure, then I pray, but my prayer will not generate the change. I meditate, but my meditation will not generate the change. I concentrate my mind, but it's like I cannot have the momentum inside me to transform. The sexual energy is the one which gives me the momentum. So basically, the yogis say that no true creativity can be attained without having the sexual energy under pressure. The yogis would like you to look at every single personality, not only yogic, not only spiritual, but even people who did exceptional things. I don't know, from Gauguin and Van Gogh to Napoleon and whoever, you name it. They are not yogis, but you know what? They are all at least odd from a sexual standpoint. For example, Napoleon had sex with his nanny, with his bunny or whatever you'd call her, at the age of six or seven. He almost raped her, he jumped her at the age of seven. In interesting sexual energy for a boy of seven, isn't it? The same with Van Gogh, with Gauguin and whoever you read their lives, you see they are all strange. Everybody had some strange thing with the sexual energy. From Genghis Khan to Adolf Hitler, they all had some weird stuff with the sexuality. That is why the yogis say, look, it is the sexual energy which gives the drive, which gives the pressure in the cattle. If you don't have pressure in the cattle, there is no transformation, you don't have the potential, you cannot explode. Basically what the yogis say is pretty discouraging in the beginning. You cannot spend the sexual energy big time and at the same time be creative. To do the sixth symphony of Ludwig van Beethoven, you need to hold your sexual energy. If you waste the sexual energy, creativity will not be there. It's like you cannot have enough pressure in your being to explode both here and here or somewhere else. It ain't. You want to have scientific genius and to rediscover the theory of relativity or some new principle in science, sexual energy must be under pressure. Now we are having a big story here because it seems very limitative <coughs> and it actually is in a certain way. That's why, for example, in India, in the traditional Indian society, even the children, the students in school up till the age of 21, they are called brahmacharis. They are supposed to have no sexual activity of any kind, including self-sexuality, including masturbation under any form, because they are supposed to be able to learn, to grow, to develop their brain, to develop new, to be, to go deep. They said if you spend the sexual energy, the learning process will not go. The learning process itself is supported by the sexual energy, by this pressure. 
basically this energy which is called ojas I have written there ojas or ojas shakti when it is sublimed in its superior forms is simply the drive of evolution it sounds paradoxical somebody has compared it they said it's exactly not like a kettle only or like a propeller those are good comparisons somebody ridiculously compared it with a spring it said exactly as you have a coil a spring coil compressed under your bottom you know and like a trampoline you know and in the moment when you meditate or something at some point boing you know there is a you move to another level if you don't have this pressure down here the transformation is not possible the prayer doesn't succeed the meditation doesn't work it's a lot of sincere effort but the power is lacking so we have got to a major deadlock haven't we because apparently you cannot have them both at the same time to waste a lot of sexual energy and at the same time to use it somewhere else it's like you have to choose you want to discover a new law of physics a new energy of nature like the Curie husbands who discovered radium and radioactivity right then stop having sex and put that power into the creativity that means that pressure will drive you crazy and then it will start giving you new ideas new creativity it's like you, if you cannot do that at least you can do this one but basically you cannot do them both because there is not enough pressure the second statement which comes from Ayurveda and from yoga is even more depressing than this one it says not only that the sexual energy is the basic energy which ensures our transformation and basically if you release the pressure it's bad you have to wait until the pressure grows again not only this but also the sexual energy is finite some people hope absurdly that the human being can go on and on and on and on and on and even when you are finished with your sexual energy if you just take some aphrodisiacs or God knows what you can whip the dying horse a little bit more the yogis and this comes from Ayurvedic medicine and there are so many elements related with it but this lecture I can only mention some things as I will tell you <coughs> the yogis say that the sexual energy is a limited amount it's an amount which is given by the genetical code of each and every human being which is basically equal for every person that means exactly as we say each and every one of you is born with a tank full of gasoline when you are born your body is born with a tank full of gasoline how quickly you spend this gasoline it's up to you but be careful there are no refilling stations along the way you've got a tank full of gasoline if you choose to spend it big time by the age of 35 you'll be empty of gasoline and then you'll start crying where is my gasoline this gasoline is nothing else but the brute the raw sexual energy which is called ojas this ojas is so clearly defined in, in Ayurvedic medicine and in Tantric Yoga that the Ayurvedic doctors even said that they measured it, they approximated it as being three drops and a half, three and a half drops of ojas. We don't know scientifically yet today what is that ojas. They just said that it was located in the lower part of the spine, in the sacral part of the spine, in the liquid of the spine, in the cephalorachidian liquid and it's a mysterious entity they considered it in Ayurveda and in yoga as a kind of life catalyst they said I don't know if you are aware of the concept of catalyst in chemistry in chemistry a catalyst is a substance out of which you take a micro micro microgram 
and you put it in a big, big, big mixture, and it makes possible the reaction of all that stuff. And the funny thing is that in the end, the catalyst is almost not spent at all. Basically, a catalyst is a substance without which all the thing doesn't work, but which needs to go in infinitesimal amounts to get the things running. So basically, Ayurvedic doctors say that ojas is a fixed amount from birth, and when you start not having ojas anymore, then your teeth start falling off, then your hair starts falling off, then your hair starts going gray. That means old age is simply a diminishing of ojas. It's like your tank is going low. You get the pink light blinking and saying low tank of gasoline. Be careful, you are going low M or low on gas. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that this ojas, this basic energy seems to be a limited amount which cannot be replaced by anything. In fundamental Kriya Yoga and Kundalini Yoga they say that if you rise your Kundalini and do some special Kriya exercises and so on you might be able to regenerate that Ojas but that is an exceptional feature which has been done by very few yogis in the history. That is why the thumb rule is do not bet on it do not rely on it because you don't know if you'll have the good karma, the stubbornness, the incredible willpower to do so much yoga as to reach to that kind of accomplishment. For 99.9 of people, including those who practice yoga, ojas is a thing which needs to be spared. That means you should not consume it. That's a completely radical view because basically the yogis say the sexual energy is very precious. It's not a miserable, dirty thing that you try to get rid of. It is actually very, very precious. And actually you are trying to spare on it as much as possible. Ah, we are consuming ojas every day. The fact that you move consumes ojas. The fact that you trek on a mountain, you consume ojas. That is why, for example, there have been many yogis who preferred never to do physical work. They would say, no, if I'm making a lot of physical effort, I'm consuming my ojas and I prefer to use my ojas for other things. Basically, the feeling is very, very clear among them that this ojas is spent in anything. Even if you do thinking, even by creativity, you consume ojas. But now is the point. If you consume ojas at the daily rate, that is enough for a lot. Actually, some yogis of India in Kriya Yoga, they said that the human being, if they would be not consuming the ojas at all, they would probably have ojas enough for a thousand years of physical life. It's like the human body can live like the prophets before the flood of Noah, like Matusalem and others who lived 800 years, 700 years, 900 years, just like the old Egyptian pharaohs and others. But the point here is that the yogis would say, yes, we are burning ojas. Living means burning ojas. You can't stop that, but you burn it at a very small rate. But sex, the sexuality manifestation, is burning ojas with a big spoon. It is simply consuming ojas at an enormous rate compared with this. For example, uh, just to give you a term of comparison, there have been physiologists who said that for a man, one single ejaculation of sperm is worth so much energy as if you would be loading a wagon full of coal with a shovel. You spend as much energy in, an, in one ejaculation as much as you would load with a shovel 
uh, a wagon full of coal. That means the sexual energy, under the appearance of something very modest and unnecessary, seems to hide a big, big secret after all. That means for the yogis, and now let's make it clear, because I have the impression that you didn't get me on this one with something. What is sexual energy? I'm not talking about an abstract thing. The yogis in Ayurveda especially, they are very clear. They say, Ojas Shakti becomes manifested or materialized in the male and female body under the form respectively of sperm in the case of men, the sperm liquid in the case of men, and under the form of the menstrual blood and vaginal secretions in the case of women. Full stop. That means for the yogis and for the Ayurvedic doctors, to lose sperm is like you lose uranium from a nuclear reactor. If you can have the most huge nuclear reactor, if you don't have the uranium pill, it will not work. The uranium is what makes the whole damn thing work. The yogis say this little whitish liquid, which you consider an egg and a bore, because today we are taught in school, right? It's sexual revo revolution time. What to do? Ah, if you are having a sexual tension, go to the toilet and masturbate. Then you can sleep quietly. If you don't ejaculate as a man, for example, you are cranky, you are ill-disposed, you may get aggressive. Just go and relieve yourself and then you will be a nice guy again. Basically, what is sperm? Ah, it's just a nagging whitish liquid produced by the body which when it is too much is like pressing on your nerves and making you irritable or whatever, get rid of it. The yogis say what a stupidity. It is the energy which can make your meditation and prayer succeed. It is the energy which can produce the transformation. It is like uranium in a nuclear reactor. To lose it, it's like you have a leakage in a nuclear reactor and you lose exactly the uranium. And then you wonder why people in the old days, they had so much faith, they had so much character, they had so much stamina. Why? Because try to think how much do we lose sexual energy today compared with 500 years ago. A statistic in Europe has shown that in the 1500s, people in the Christian environment, they are having approximately 10 to 12 times sex per year. 10 to 12 times. I can even demonstrate you why, but I don't think it is the case. Uh, that means it's very clear why and how. Today, there are young men who, because they are taught to masturbate even in high school and so on, they masturbate even two, three times a day. Basically, they get to ejaculate a thousand times a year. It's a huge difference between ejaculating ten times a year and ejaculating a thousand times a year, believe me. That is why even the human character has gone flabby in so many ways and we complain. Those people were fanatics, you know, in the Middle Age. They believed they were afraid not to lose their soul and they had all kind of religious things. And we have even the shamelessness to call them the Dark Ages. The Middle Age were the Dark Ages because people were religious. No, we are the Dark Ages because we are unreligious and we are materialistic and terrible. This is the Dark Ages, not the Middle Age. At least in the Middle Ages, people had the, the shamefulness and the faith to call their word, to consider that the word is sacred, not to prostitute their soul in so many ways. Therefore, this is very, very arguable. It is very, very discussable. But I don't want to go into that direction. Let's stick to our story. We have Ojas 
the sexual energy and the sexual energy should not be wasted we are having again a problem exactly like the one you remember perhaps when we talked about karma yoga when we talked about karma yoga we said the yogis and the great spirits of the east had a problem they noticed that everything they did produced karma and if they produce karma they become slaves of the universe what to do it's exactly the same here we're having a similar problem that means we are given by mother nature a limited amount of ojas basically as much as we want to spin around we have just got one tank full of gasoline we have to learn to recycle it to recirculate it to do something if we want to keep it going and basically we're having a problem how to spare on the ojas because a life without ojas is automatically a life without spirituality you cannot have them both in the same boat so this creates one of those typical problems where we have choices one of the choices here that's why I made again the same as with karma yoga you remember with karma yoga the people said okay if action causes karma then we've got a solution stop acting run in the forest and stop acting forever just run away from the world let the people bang their head we don't do any action we don't create any karma full stop it's the same here you have a direct solution and a sophisticated solution the direct solution is obvious if you don't want to spend your ojas then you have to stop having any sexual activity that's the straight solution and it is so clear and so straightforward that actually it was the one which came to the minds of everybody I would say today, looking backwards on the history of mankind, that approximately 95% of what we know today in the world spirituality, starting with, uh, I don't know, Buddha and whoever, they practice this choice. That means many people of spirit, they have simply said, okay, the only way to keep the energy for God, the only way to keep the energy for prayer, for meditation, for whatever, to have the propeller, to have pressure in your steamer, is just not to lose it. Therefore, you have to seal it. You don't have to explode. When you don't explode, you will get crazy with energy. And then when you will meditate, yes, meditation will be an amazing meditation. But the yogis would say that's not the only solution. However, I would like to tell you one thing. This straight solution is a solution which has worked for hundreds and thousands of years. That means it's a difficult solution. Many people today, they would consider it unacceptable. What? If I am to reach nirvana, I have to quit doing sex for a year, for six months, for... Well, I don't know if I can do that. Many people would be unable to take such a decision today. We are so much attached to our body and to our pleasures and to our satisfaction that we wouldn't be able to take that decision even for a limited time. That is why I would like to tell you one thing. I, as a human being, am full of respect for the people who had such stamina and willpower to take this decision. In the spiritual history of this planet, there have been hundreds of thousands and millions of people along thousands of years who have taken exactly this decision. That means young men and women aged 20 or whatever, they have simply quit the sexual activity, ran in ashrams, ran in monasteries, ran in forests, ran in caves, and they simply consecrated their life to the discovery of God, to the discovery of the infinite, to the reaching of immortality. It is a decision which maybe we cannot take, but we should not judge those who took it because it is really difficult. That means those people indeed must have had some nerve 
they must have had some spiritual aspiration to be able to put aside their own comfort and their own pleasure and to say, okay, I will sacrifice this because if this is the only way, that's what I have to do. If this is what it takes to reach Nirvana, this is what it takes. I'm ready to do what it takes. Today, some smart people in psychotherapy, they tell you that it's not possible, they just try to copy Freud and Jung stuff, and they say, but if you don't have sex, you become neurotic, you become sour, you become twisted, you become crazy. Actually, those who said they did, they actually didn't do it, they must have had a secret of them, they were masturbating, they were having sex with animals, they were doing something, and basically it's not possible, it's like it's too good to be true. Let us be honest on this, there have been people who demonstrated in centuries and centuries that it is possible and it is glorious. There have been great saints in Christianity, men and women, in Sufism, in Buddhism, in Tibet, in India, great yogis and mystics and so, who did precisely that. They simply one day said, no, now from today, for me there is no more sexual activity. They gathered that energy and they put it into something superior. Uh, these people cannot be criticized, they are not crazy, they are not twisted, they are not, it's a way of saying it, that is why it's exactly like the fox which said that the grapes are sour. She could not eat the grapes and then she started nagging that the grapes are sour. The grapes are sour usually when you cannot do it and then you start poking a finger and criticizing those who do what you cannot do and actually you have an envy on, at their address. Basically what I'm trying to tell you is that this option exists. It's a hard option. It still exists today. I will agree that to be 25 years of age and to be in the middle of Paris, to live in Paris and to quit sex and to quit it for good or for a long period of time sounds almost impossible. There is sex in the magazines, in the newspapers, in the media, in the internet, in the TV, wherever you look it's people who are sexed up, your colleagues in the college, whatever, they are full of sex, oozing, uh, you know, it's kind of you'll go mad. That's why many of these people, they felt that the only way they could do this was to run away from the world, you know, to go in an ashram, to go in a monastery, to go in a place where they wouldn't see and they wouldn't hear and they could get rid of this obsession because sex is so obsessive. Even the great Buddha practiced this and when he was asked about it, he said that if he would have had another obstacle as great as sex, he would have never made it. I mean, sex almost toppled him. He fought bitterly with it and he said, I, I wouldn't have been able to fight another thing as heavy as sex was for me. That is why it is worth for us to respect this choice and to respect this vision. Even if it is not your choice and you don't feel able to do it or you can try to do it for a limited period of time, like three months, six months, just to see what it is, remember that this option exists it's a very heroic option, it's a very determined option, many people did it, and it requires a special form of madness, it requires a special form of commitment. However, I would like to say one more thing, the pass that, that is why actually it was interpreted that Brahmacharya is abstinence, because most people, yes, even in India, even among the yogis, most people, they took the direct version. They said, okay, if you don't have to spend your sexual energy, you don't spend it. I would like to mention those two things. One, 
not to spend your sexual energy because the sexual energy is contained in the sexual explosion means simply that you do not have to lose any sexual energy physically speaking so you cannot twist around like some people said yes it's true that I'm uh, ejaculating but actually I'm not wasting my sexual energy because I know a trick that is bollocks there is no trick basically remember and because of this no sex is exactly that it is no sex people who chose this they had no sex with the opposite sex they had no sex with their own sex they had no sex with animals they had no sex with their right or left hand they had no sex in the dreams they had no sex whatsoever no explosion of the sexual energy down here it's like this area becomes sealed tight and the energy will have to implode or better said to explode the other way the principle is very clear and it does not allow any tricky by the way uh, you know bypassing of this problem the second thing which I would like to tell you about this before I conclude because I'm trying to tell you simply that celibacy, one of the two possibilities of doing Brahmacharya, it exists, it is doable, it is feasible, it is still done. Today there are men and women who try to go in their spiritual path like this, as hard as it is in the modern world. So it exists and it can be done, but it should be understood correctly. One, it is completely a serious thing, I mean, you cannot, it's like with smoking, you know, you cannot say I'm a non-smoker if you smoke only every third day. Either you smoke or you don't smoke, it's as simple as that. It's the same here, you cannot be a brahmachari if you just waste your sexual energy from time to time or whatever. It's either you don't waste it or you waste it. The wasting is already out of brahmacharya. I'd like to be very clear on one aspect not to lose the sexual energy is not enough Swami Shivananda of India who was a doctor he was very clear on it he said but uh, if you don't waste the sexual energy think there are many people who don't get sex on this planet and they don't masturbate or whatever and that doesn't make them brahmacharis or yogis <coughs> that means you can have an old lady who is a, a fan of Queen Victoria an old Victorian maiden who is not having any sex because sex is disgusting, said Queen Victoria, and uh, men are pigs, uh, said Queen Victoria, and basically she's growing, she's staying in her home, she's getting more and more neurotic and crazy, she's growing 20 cats, that's not a yogini, that's not a brahmacharini, that's just a crazy woman who doesn't get enough sex, full stop. Basically, brahmacharya means something else, Brahmacharya doesn't mean only that you don't have sex. Then anybody, any person who doesn't get sex could say, Haha, I'm a Brahmachari according to yoga. No. A Brahmachari according to yoga means one who does not explode, who does not waste, but one who uses it. It's not only that you don't lose, it's also that you use. For example, Swami Shivananda says, when you have this energy, you need to put it to work. You, if you let it stay, it can even draw you crazy. For example, many cases of cancer, in the cases of women, genital cancer or breast cancer are exactly this. Women who do not reach organ, women who do not sublime the energy, and because of this the energy builds, and it's a huge pool of Zvadistana energy, and the ridiculous thing is that because of the frustration, 
these women, it's ridiculous, you know, because they have the, bigger, the biggest sexual energy, but they say, no, I don't feel the need of sex. I think sex is actually disgusting. And you look at them, and you can't believe your eyes, because the woman is oozing with sexual energy, and she keeps on saying, but I don't need sex. Everybody else is sexually obsessed, you know. All the men who look at me, they say, I need sex, but it's not true, I don't feel it. You don't feel it because you are neurotic already, but the cancer is developing, the neurosis is developing, the hysteria is developing, the twistedness of character is developing, and so on. What I'm trying to tell is that if the energy builds in Svadhisthana, you are in trouble. The energy needs to be flushed. You develop a lot of energy. This is your reservoir. But you need to bring it up to Ajna Chakra, to Sahasrara, to the high chakras. This is where it blossoms. So basically Shivananda says, if you don't do sex because you want to be a Brahmachari, he says, do a lot of other things. Study, learn, memorize, do artistic creativity, do scientific creativity, do a lot of physical work, do jogging, do sports, spend your energy. He says, if you are a Brahmachari and you have too much tension in your sexual area, get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, go and pull up water from the well for everybody, make yourself useful, do karma yoga, serve everybody else, you know, like be in full activity because you need to burn it, you need to convert it in something. That is the problem of success in spirituality. There are many people who stay away from sex. You can go in Christian monasteries and other places and you see, and many people are twisted, they are sickly, they are weird. Why? Because here they accumulate energy. But this energy stays here and it is not meant to stay here. It's supposed to go here. So, ah yes, the fathers of the desert who went and spent hours in prayer in the shining sun in the desert, they were subliming. They are subliming with the power of prayer because you cannot spend five hours like this unless you are already rising the energy big time. You have to be carried in a state. So this is why I'm saying you can sublime this energy by prayer, by meditation, by action, by physical effort, by learning, by scientific creativity, artistic creativity and others. And yes, let us not forget, you can very well sublime this energy when you do Hatha Yoga. Hatha Yoga is extraordinary for it. Anybody who has any sexual tension, they can sublime so easily. This morning, you have been taught the Udhyana Bandha. Basically, everybody in yoga knows, if you don't have sex, then you should do a lot of Udhyana Bandhas. You go down and start doing Udhyana Bandhas, you know, because you are not using this energy in any way, and it just builds here, and you don't feel it, because people normally don't feel their chakras and auras and energy, and you don't even realize that you are loaded with such an amount of energy that you can't tell. So basically, remember, there is celibacy, but the yogis say it should be an active celibacy, not a passive celibacy. Simply refraining from sex is not enough because it can drive you crazy, so to speak, or ill. When you refrain from sex in the celibate way, then you need to do something prayer, vigils, whatever you do, meditation and hatha yoga and physical action and all those which I said, you need to do something to convert that energy, to sublime it. If you don't sublime it, it becomes a problem. That's why you see in Buddhism, in Christianity, in so many places, they tell you, if you go to a monastery now and become a Buddhist monk, the first rule or one of the first rules will be you may not have sex because now you are a monk. Basically your question is, so what if I'm getting crazy? You know, I mean, I'm oozing with it. I'm having a hard on day and night. What to do? You know? 
they will not, I mean, they will find some silly solutions, like you should eat less, you should not sleep in the night, you should, no, it's like mortifying, 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 screw down the body, so eventually when you'll be like uh, half dead, then of course you'll not have any erection and any thought of sex anymore, because, but that's a very pathetic way, it's like you're killing yourself, killing yourself half, so you don't have any more sexual desires and drive. Basically, this is one of the lacking things, you know, because in Western spirituality, especially the Judaic, uh, Christian, Islamic type of spirituality, uh, they have this sexual repression, but they don't teach what to do with energy. What, what an enemy sex has been. If you look at the Christian history, Western Christian uh, history, basically, you are amazed how many people fell because of sex. Even the Knights of the Round Table, those beautiful stories, about King Arthur and Lancelot and so on. Every single one of them screwed around and fell because of sex, with the exception of only one, who was the Galahad or whoever, who managed to stay case, chased. I mean, people like Arthur and people like Lancelot and people I don't know whom, who are heroes, who had great souls, who are dreaming about the Holy Grail and stuff like this, they couldn't hold the dick in their pants. They had to go and screw around and they fucked up because they could not hold back from sex. How, how powerful the sex is. If it put down guys like Lancelot and so on, what will it do to an average person? When we are speaking about heroes, people with huge courage and people with huge soul, you know, with a great spirit. Basically, that's exactly what I say. At least people who want to do celibacy, they should learn something from yoga. For example, if they would put Udhyana Banda and headstand and stuff like this in the Christian monasteries, you'd have many more successful monks and nuns. Because many monks and nuns in Christian monasteries, they try to stay away from sex. But because they are not given any method to flush the energy up, some of them who have a lot of love for God and a lot of prayer, they succeed. That's like 1%. But the rest of 99%, they are flops, they are like fiascos, you know. It's like they try, they don't manage to reach that divine thing, and they didn't do the sex thing either. So they stay in monasteries and rot, and they gossip, and they become wicked, and they become, uh, you know, intriguing, and so, you know, carrying out intrigues, and it's like the hell is in the monastery, you know. There was somebody who said, all the devils have moved to the monastery. That's the reason why, because uh, actually this key of subliming the energy should be applied in Brahmacharya. Enough with this, I hope you got the point. In Brahmacharya the direct version of it is celibacy. You like it or not, you believe in it or not, it works, it can be done, Hatha Yoga can help you a lot, and I gave you the outlines of it. You can read good books about it, Swami Shivananda wrote an excellent book of celibate Brahmacharya and so on. It's pretty straightforward. Now, if there would be only like this, you would say, wow, it's a bit bitter. I don't know if I'm prepared for yoga. I should wait for these big levels of yoga until I'm 60 or something like this, then maybe we can speak again. The funny thing is, of course, that if I'm 60 already, then my sexual energy is low. My gorge, my gasoline gorge is really low, and then I'm really desperate because I'm having little of it left, and I have to economize it really, to recycle it to the limit. So basically, Many people would say, yes, it would be nice to do great spiritual things now that I'm young and having a lot of energy, but how to do? Well, you are fortunate because in the bigger picture there exists an alternative. That alternative is exactly like karma yoga. 
the, there was the alternative refrain from action and there was the alternative karma yoga act in a skillful way act in a certain way in the same way Krishna who was a tantric himself actually who is one of the arch tantrics of India he would say action can be superior to inaction refraining from sex is not perhaps the best thing you can do it via the sexual activity itself but then it has to be done in a very special way you need a skill that skill is the other form of continence which is called the active continence or the tantric form of continence that is very rare even in India tantric continence was very very widespread at some time but for some historical reasons including the fact that India was conquered by the Muslims who brought their stuff then in 1600 the Catholics came, the Portuguese came with the Catholicism then the British came with the Protestant Puritanism and stuff like this <coughs> and basically this tantric tendency disappeared today in India 99 point something percent of what is happening in spirituality is typically non-tantric and basically the Indians today are much more Puritanic and much more full of taboos even then their western counterparts from which they have learned that means the British have forgotten their Puritanism since long but the Indians have left with it they have learned it in Oxford in 1900 and now they still have it the Indian society is one of the most Puritanic what am I trying to tell you here? I'm telling you that actually in India especially it is valid also in China in Southeast Asia a little bit in Tibet and even in the Arab environment as well as in Europe in some alternative environments like alchemists and others <coughs> they have invented they have realized that there exists an alternative to it that alternative was carried on or was discovered in India mostly by the yogis who are called tantric the adepts of tantric yoga of tantra yoga and that is why this is called the tantric alternative the tantric continent the tantric brahmacharya and today it's a rarity even in India if you go in a hundred ashrams and you ask about brahmacharya not 99 of them but I would presume even a hundred of them all hundred they will tell you that the only thing they know about Brahmacharya is that you should stay away from sex full stop Brahmacharya for them means celibacy although if you take the traditional literature it's not so it means something else and it was done also in some other way let us look a little bit into this first of all the name Tantra is a very problematic name it is a name that in India you shouldn't almost use you should never use because it has such a bad reputation Tantra has a bad reputation not because it is something terrible but because people misunderstand things they judge it through the prism of their own obsession and also because many people abuse Tantra that means they use the name Tantra to hide their own stuff oh I'm doing this because I'm doing Tantra and basically they are vicious people they are people ridden of vices who are just trying to hide their vice behind the beautiful word Tantra today in India <coughs> if you ask normal people and yogis as well what is Tantra they will tell you all kinds of scary things Tantra first thing, first accusation Tantra is black magic people who do Tantra are dirty black magicians a Tantric is the kind of person 
till you visit, if you want your mother-in-law, put out of her misery before her time. If you want that, you go to a tantric, you pay 5,000 rupees, the tantric is making an amulet, a charm of sorts or something, and then in a week, your grandmother or your mother-in-law dies of a mysterious heart attack. Basically, many people believe Tantra is black magic. And I must say that there are people who, under the guise of Tantra, under the name of Tantra, they do exactly this. You'll go in India and you'll ask, are you a Tantric? And somebody says, yes. There is a great chance that the person who says, I am a Tantric, is actually a magician, and most often not a white magician. Tantra has become, to a large extent, embroiled with black magic. Another accusation brought to Tantra, Tantra is dirty abomination. The Tantrics, in their wish to provoke the society, they started eating meat, while in India the Orthodox Hindus won't. They started using alcohol, they used perhaps drugs and all kinds of things. So basically Tantra is something terrible. Tantra, Tantric people, you can expect them to be stoned with hash all day long, or you can expect them to eat abominable things, live in cremation ground. The Agoris of India, for example, they have the fame that they eat corpses. They go in the place where they burn bodies and they start and eat out of the brain of bodies and flesh and human flesh like cannibals and so on, just to demonstrate that they are above everything. So some people say, if you see a tantric, cross on the other side of the street, because tantrics are madmen. They are maniacs, dirty, terrible people who don't want to be mixed with them. The third accusation which was brought, which is still brought to Tantra, is that all Tantra we know, Tantra is sex, it's hanky-panky, it's dirty stuff. Tantrics are just screwing around, they have a kind of free sex communities, Tantra is smut, is sexual abomination. Basically, uh, many people would believe that Tantra is just a license to some kind of fornication, and imagine in a tight society like that of Indians, and so on, imagine that Tantra has a terrible image. For example, some 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in India they had this big adventure of Osho, the famous Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who later called himself Osho, who made a kind of free sex community in Pune. The community still exists, it's not so much of free sex anymore, but still the Indians got totally shocked of it. They imagine in a country like India where women cannot show their ankles, in the Pune ashram you have people having group sex in the bushes just a hundred meters from the entrance of the ashram. You enter the ashram, you could see three people having sex in a bush. You know, it was just kind of way over the top compared to what you see. In. If that would have happened in Los Angeles, you would have said, well, it's a crazy town. Anyhow, people here have all kinds of clubs and things. But in India, it was way over the top. So basically, the funny thing is that this famous Osho, this famous Rajneesh, he was a bit of a genius himself. He spoke beautifully. He showed he was the first one after many, many years in India to show that Tantra is a high metaphysics. It's a search of the infinite. It's a search of nirvana. It's a search of immortality. That it's not about drugs. That it's not about black magic. That it's not about all kind of eating corpses and things like this. He showed that a man and a woman can hope to reach together spiritual levels by the act of love. But unfortunately, while he spoke very beautifully, 
She was very terrible in applying Tantra. She was not much of a Tantric himself. Uh, unfortunately, at this, although I personally have quite a liking for Rajneesh himself, he was a wonderful person, but he was a terrible teacher and he was a terrible prophet. One of the most elementary things in prophesizing, in preaching, says that you should do what you preach most of the time, at least the essential things. Well, Rajneesh was preaching tantric sexuality, but he was not able to do it himself, and a few other things. <coughs> and because of this, he actually made a fool of himself in the end. And many Indian people as well as Westerners, they just shrugged their shoulders and said, See, we told you, Tantra is something about smut. See, look at the Rajneesh people and so on. Isn't that something terrible? Would you like your son or daughter or friend or wife to go in the Rajneesh circles? You wouldn't like, of course. So basically, unfortunately, while Rajneesh did a lot of beautiful speaking about Tantra, and we can say that in a certain way he took Tantra out of the dustbin again and showed it clean and beautiful to many people from inside India and from outside India. At the same time, Rajneesh also did a disservice to Tantra because he increased the people's belief that yes, Tantra is sexual smut. Ever since, India is full of half-learned, wiseacres, crooks, who just go around and tell to blonde western girls, Oh, I'm a tantric, I will teach you tantra. I have found even old men of 65, almost ruined, their knees were shaking with debility and senility, going around and claiming to some silly western tourists, that, oh, I'm a big guru in Tantra, I will teach you Tantra. And basically they couldn't even get it up anymore, but they were just claiming that they were big Tantric. So basically the world of so-called Tantra in this way would be full of smut. You have a lot of things about venereal disease, girls getting themselves pregnant, rape happening through all kinds of Indian hotels and so on. And many people, that's why they get reinforced and say, Tantra, they want to hear about Tantra. Tantra is crookedness and so on. This is so widespread that even mainstream newspapers in India, they use the word Tantra today, pejoratively ridiculous. Those journalists, they never probably read a line from a Tantric text and they don't know what it is. For example, in Hindustan Times, in the news, one of the mainstream newspapers of India, uh, every man who is uh, kinky sexually would automatically be labeled as a tantric. I have read uh, something about a Muslim man who lived with three women in the same house. Basically he had three lovers and uh, Hindustan Times called him a tantric. Well, he couldn't be a tantric because he was a Muslim, first of all. Tantra is a typically Indian Hindu thing. And the second thing is that, of course, the guy had never read a line of a tantric text and he didn't know what it was. And so was the journalist who wrote this stupidity. Unfortunately, the name Tantra is gathering this bad reputation because of people who do these things and so on. And because of this, uh, it's a difficult issue. I mean, using the name Tantra is always with risk. It's like uh, leading to the idea of dirt, corruption, lack of purity, sexual smut, hanky-panky, cheating, black magic, drugs, abomination, you name it. That is why in India, if you tell to someone, I'm interested in Tantra, I'm learning Tantra, it either means you are crazy, and if you say, I'm doing Tantra, they look at you and they say, no, you are not, because you don't seem like one who eats corpses in the graveyard or something like this. So either they don't believe you, or if they believe you, they say, okay, if you do Tantra, then you are, I don't want to be your friend, you are really a dirty person, probably at least uh, 
fornicating terrible person or if not you must be some black magician or something we don't want to hear about it the funny thing is that people who speak this kind of stupidity they never read about Tantra when you read the Tantra the Tantric tradition of India is generated first of all by the 64 classical texts which are called Tantras or Agamas and the 64 Tantric texts of India they are fully metaphysical they don't contain smut they don't contain hanky-panky they don't contain black magic they don't contain drugs and terrible things these things are made by some people they are like deviations that in the 17th century some idiot did something and he called it also Tantra and ever since people started believing it is but remember Tantra in India comes from a traditional literature which is hundreds and thousands of years old Tantra is very very metaphysical very very spiritual in Tantra you find texts which are of cosmogony cosmology, astronomy, astrology sacred architecture, sacred dance, sacred music the use of colors, the use of sounds the use of geometrical proportions in Tantra you find things about alternative healing such as urine therapy or whatever in Tantra you find things about puja and worshipping deities in Tantra you find things about how to get paranormal powers like in parapsychology Tantra is full of a million things it's not about smut and black magic but the people never bother to actually read Mahanirvana Tantra or Kularnava Tantra or Paratrimshika Tantra or whatever people read something in a newspaper or some second-hand book written by some nerd and they say I know I read once a book of Tantra if you want to learn, see what Tantra is take at least one tantric text in your life a traditional, the real thing, the original thing and read Tantra is coming from those 64 classical texts of India out of which only 20 or something like this have been translated in western languages the rest they haven't even been translated out of Sanskrit so we know so little about the tantric tradition if you are not initiated so basically what I'm trying to tell you here is that unfortunately Tantra is enjoying a very bad reputation as a name and it is not true and of course many people equate it with sex I told once and let me tell it again because tonight we speak about this there is no more than 5 to 10 percent in Tantra which alludes to sex that means the Tantrics they consider that the human being is a complex creature related with the stars and with the universe and everything is having a function therefore you should not do like uh, British Victorian people brush the sex under the carpet and say <coughs> this is a delicate issue we don't talk about it it's embarrassing to talk about sex they said okay if sex is so important let's talk about it let's see what it is let's see how we can use it let's see if we can use it spiritually and so on so basically the tantrics discovered that sex is actually that you can use sexuality for spiritual development and actually they have made a yoga which uses sex that, that yoga is like 5% out of tantra but because people are so sexually obsessed oh Michael you heard there is a yoga which uses sex you actually get to have sex two, two hours every day and it's, a, it's like you meditate isn't that funny you know people would immediately propagate this kind of rumor this kind of gossip and then everybody would say oh yeah Tantra I have heard Tantra is the yoga of sex no Tantra also means astrology the, the Indian astrology is grouped under tantric texts like Prasna Tantra and others Tantra means also alternative therapy like Damaru Tantra Tantra also means Kriya Yoga a lot of things are coming under Tantra not just sex but people have, are monomaniacs actually people show their true nature because whenever they hear about Tantra they say Tantra I know sex 
Tantra is not sex. The name and everything in it does not mean sex. It's just this human obsession which has made it appear like that was sex. So enough with this introduction. I simply try to tell you that actually Tantra is not so bad as it seems. People have made out a little boogeyman, a scary, you know, Tantra I've heard. If you are curious, don't believe me. Just get to the first big library or bookshop, get yourself a real Tantric text, some of the original ones like Mahanirvana and others, and see what it is. Read for yourself. You'd be surprised. You'll find meditation, metaphysics, devotion, mantras, visualizations, a lot of yoga practices. You don't find any reference really about any hanky-panky or drugs or things like this. These things, some of them are added in history and some of them are just a small part of Tantra made for peculiar people. Therefore, the Tantrics would say yes, but it is also true that there are people among you who are having a sexual energy, a big sexual energy. There are people who ever since they were 14 or 15, they discovered, wow, you know, I'm exploding with sex, I'm full of sex, what to do? So Tantra Yoga says, then, such people, they can have a method of using their own sexual potential. Why shouldn't we put even sexuality to work for a higher purpose, for a noble purpose? So in this way, there is a yoga of sex made for people who are not willing to quit sex, and for, for people who are interested in sex, and for people who want to use and explore their sexuality in a spiritual way. But that sexuality of Tantra, first of all, comes under Brahmacharya. It is ridiculous to see that today there are written tens of books about Tantra, and you read a whole book about Tantra, and it doesn't tell anything about Brahmacharya. There is no Tantra without Brahmacharya. Tantra, the Tantric sexuality, is just a solution to Brahmacharya. Because one solution to Brahmacharya is to stay away from sex, to become celibate, and the other solution is to do it the Tantric way. Full stop. There is no other solution. Ah, there can be some intermediary palliatives, uh, pampering solutions, like Swami Shivananda said, for example, if you are a householder and you are married and you have a family life, then uh, he said, you cannot fully refrain from sex, but I have a solution for you, he said. You should have sex once a month only. So basically you stay and build it up, build it up, once a month because you cannot hold it anymore and because you are having some obligations. You just go and have sex and then again you are flat and you start building up pressure again. After 15 days you start shining again with energy. Then the last days you are really, really full. Your meditation, your prayer, whatever works nicely then okay, you do it again, you fall again, you start rising again. So it's a kind of compromise solution. Uh, yoga for householders. In this way, of course, you can find many silly solutions like this, but Tantra is the radical, is the, simply the opposite extreme. I mean, here you have one alternative, and Tantra says we can do it in another way. This other way comes as a total surprise, and it is actually such a great, great, beautiful offer, for the people of modern times, because people, people of modern times, especially young people full of energy, will very hardly accept that they can just quit sexuality for long periods of time. Then let us see what Tantra has discovered. What is the alternative to it? The Tantrics, to make the long story short, they simply thought like this. Look, the problem is not sex in European culture, because of Judaism, Christianity, and so on, sex is considered to be a sin. It's the original sin. It's because of sex 
that Adam and Eve fell out of paradise, right? So how could you not blame sex? We are all born of sex and therefore we are all born out of sin. So our very nature is sinful. We are loaded with the original sin from the earliest day of our life. So basically the body is ugly, it is guilty, it is dirty, sex is dirty. This impregnates our culture to such an extent that people who start doing Tantra even after one or two or three years of Tantra, they still feel guilty about their body and about their sex and thing. It's like it's shameful, it's um, doubtful and so on. In the Indian culture, they didn't have it. Women were not even wearing their breasts covered in India until the Muslims took over India. Uh, they had Devadasis, the temple dancers, who were free to do a lot of things, sexually I mean, uh, in India they composed Kama Sutra, they, they considered that sexual satisfaction is one of the four pillars of a happy life and you should have it, everybody should have You cannot imagine Kama Sutra composed in Europe, in Christian Europe, because in Europe the thing, if you read Apostle Paul and so on, is to refrain from sex as much as possible. Yes, okay, you can do sex to have children, that's what Gandhi even said, right? Um, you can have, okay, but no more, sex else is dirty, sex for fun is guilty, is not good. In India they didn't have this, they said, oh, let's compose a book about sex. Kama Sutra is written by an ascetic, by a monk, in the end of it you get flabbergasted. It says, this book of Kama Sutra was composed by Vatsyayana while he was in meditation and retreat in a monastery and so on. So a man withdrew in a monastery, he gathered all the material and he wrote a beautiful book, the most famous erotic book of humanity until today, the famous Kama Sutra. So in this way, teaching people how to do and all kinds of wonderful things. If you didn't read the Kama Sutra, perhaps you should. Statistics still show that Kama Sutra is the third book of mankind, as frequency of readers. That means it is surpassed only by the Bible and by the capital of Karl Marx. Kama Sutra is the third book of the planet as number of readers. If you didn't read it, you should better do. So basically, coming back to our problem, uh, the Indians did not consider sex guilty. They actually, there is a lot of sexual symbolism. There are erotic temples where they give you some erotic scenes. You don't even see them in the magazines today, how bold things they put on the frescoes of the Indian temples. Every single Indian temple, in the, middle, in the middle of it, it has the Shiva Lingam, which is a phallus. It's just a phallic symbol, no more and no less, and surrounded by the Yoni, which is the feminine genital organ. So in the middle of every Indian temple you have the Yoni Lingam, the, se the symbol of the sexual union of the cosmic and feminine male and female. Basically sex was not considered by them to be dirty or guilty in any way. And basically this is the problem. The Tantric says, whoa, 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 whoa. Now the Muslims came, the Christians came, that's alien to our culture. Basically for us sex is not dirty. Sex is a cosmic mystery. Sex is a bliss. It's one of the pillars of life and so on. It's beautiful if you do it the right way and everything. Then what's the problem? Ah, the problem is the loss of ojas, that you lose ojas when you have sex. Right. So then the tantrics have said, so what if we can do sex without losing ojas? Isn't that good enough? Aren't we actually still brahmacharis? I mean, the, the thing is, not that I'm taking my dick and putting it here and there. The thing is, if I'm exploding or not, as long as I'm not exploding, isn't that brahmacharya? Because my ojas is still in me. I still keep the pressure in the kettle. I can afterwards pray and meditate very well. I will not be flat. 
discharged I will be full of energy isn't that it? and the tantrics have found out that's the first thing of their continence the first level they found out that actually it was true that actually men and women can learn to make love in a new way which is not discharging them of their ojas and in this way you can still be sexually active but at the same time you can be a brahmachari this means as simple as that <coughs> just because I don't want to leave any doubt in telling you about these things this means that men and women were taught of a form of sexuality in which men were taught to exert sexuality without discharging that means without ejaculation and women were taught a form of sexuality in which they would not have explosive discharging but a slow discharging, an implosion which is actually what today is called in sexuality the multiple orgasmic function that a woman can have a hundred orgasms in a row without actually discharging she can keep on and on and on so basically women were taught that they can implode their orgasm and experience it a lot of times without actually ever exploding and this would also lead by a connected phenomenon to the diminishing of the menstrual cycle that the menstrual period can be diminished because this bleeding is actually causing a lot of waste of vital material from the female body and the men were taught that they can make love without ejaculating because after all the sperm is made by mother nature for having children how many times in your life will you want to have children? once, twice, okay that means two ejaculations the rest what are they for? because the semen is made clearly for ejaculation for children making if you don't want to have children and to make love for pleasure for fun then ejaculation is not necessarily logical but it doesn't sound so logical whenever I tell this that means I'm saying okay the yogis have invented the tantric yogis they have invented a new sexuality sexuality forever you know a huge sexuality after all because if you don't spend energy then you have energy a lot galore but actually you are keeping the energy and you are not exploding this triggers an avalanche of questions and reactions people would like to know so much more because it's like they never heard that it's possible they always would think that it's crazy also the men and the women are even afraid they say is it really possible men are totally in love with their ejaculation if you tell men who don't know about it you can actually learn to make love without ejaculating and I would like to be straight not without ejaculating every three days without ejaculating ever like St. Francis of Assisi for the next 30 years even never you don't need to do it unless you want to have a child once that is once and then still you are back in business so basically if you tell to men that you can do it without ejaculation they will say it's not possible why? because ejaculation is my only pleasure that means if you take ejaculation from me then sex becomes like charitable work that means why the heck am I doing it anymore I, I mean no, sex without ejaculation is inconceivable I will not get anything out of it the second question which men would ask is oh boy if I'm doing sex and I'm not ejaculating what will happen because my testicles keep producing sperm so what will I will explode with semen what will happen will it gush out of my ears or what will happen I mean uh, you, don't you need to get rid of it from time to time these are the men questions of it and the female questions are similar exactly as men are in love with their ejaculation 
women are in love with their menstruation it's kind of a necessary evil well nobody really likes to bleed and they have to put things and whatever but what to do everybody does it and therefore it must be right that is the judgment of the sheep don't forget that if everybody has it it's naturally also right so in this way uh, yes actually women can also learn that by subliming by reversing the sexual energy they can actually diminish the menstruation they can even stop menstruating without getting ill without getting hormonally imbalanced without getting barren or sterile that means they can still have children and basically that it's not necessary and that you can keep your energy to yourself that you can implode it instead of exploding it the point is that this thing is bringing so many new stuff so many new things that it's very difficult to explain in a lecture like tonight there is already almost one hour and a half since I'm speaking and I have hardly reached halfway through it that means if I were to start explaining to you what is what it will take an enormous time I sometimes when I'm keeping Tantra workshops I'm taking 10 days to explain the ins and outs of Tantra it's a 10 day workshop how much will I be able to explain to you tonight in a simple lecture of two hours I cannot explain much I can simply tell you that the tantric sexuality exists and I can point some things for you and open some doors I cannot go in all those details the thing is that if you want to know details you'll need to ask more in this yoga course I'm not keeping any more lectures about Tantra because I don't have time tomorrow I have another subject of lecturing and so on not tomorrow the day after tomorrow in Rishikesh after a couple I mean since a couple of years I've got to this habit after I was holding this lecture if men and women wanted to know more about it I would simply organize an additional meeting like for example one for women and one for men in one day next week like 12 o'clock at noon or something 2 o'clock p.m. I would make an additional meeting for all those interested because there might be among you people who don't want to hear about this and therefore I'm talking too much about this sexual issue some people might feel well it's not me it's not my interest and therefore that's the only way that's why the only thing which I can propose for this is this if you have more questions you'll have to ask me straight about it because I cannot go beyond the limits of this lecture you can ask me in private if it's very embarrassing for you or you can ask me in public it will help the others because many of the others would have the same questions but they are more shy than you and they don't dare to actually ask and everybody would like to hear about it actually and the only thing which we can do we can organize two additional meetings two hours meetings or something around noon in one of the days of the next week think about it we don't establish now and for me it's actually more difficult to do them so it's only if you need them <coughs> it's just an offer and if you want we'll meet and then the women and the men can ask me all the specific questions like what is happening with the sperm what is the story with the organ how you do it what is this and that and so on I cannot explain you all the ins and outs the medical aspects and all the things of it at this point because this lecture would become huge so basically what I can tell you is only this much the tantrics discovered that it is possible to have sex both for men and for women without exploding this would have the huge advantage from the very beginning that it will not lose your ojas and you can stay brahmachari so you can make love as much as you want and that is a literal statement because you'll see in a second why and basically you can still be sexually active but at the same time you can be a brahmachari 
There are many people in India, especially the ascetic type of people, who will disagree on this. They will say, no, it's not true, because it's kind of unfair. That means I have spent 25 years uh, torturing myself of not having sex, and now you are telling me that you can also have it, and it's the same final result? Shit! It means I have been really stupid. It's kind of, you make my life look ridiculous. So basically, people in the ascetic circles, they simply don't like Tantra as a, as a principle, and they, they tend to disagree, to say, no, it's not true. Uh, it is actually true when you look at it with the eyes of intelligence, and the tradition is there. It's not invented by me. Tantra is not my invention, but it irritates people who are ascetic, because it makes them look like fools. It makes them look like all their efforts were somehow ridiculous and they could have done it in another way. That's why with Tantra you don't usually try to convince anybody. Those who understand and they want to try Tantra, they are very welcome. Those who believe that this is good, let them do this. It's good for their peace of mind to do that one. That means we are open either to one or to the other. Basically, the Tantrics therefore have discovered that it is possible to unfold the sexuality without explosion. This sexuality is not only keeping you as a brahmachari, but it's very powerful because it makes that men and women will not lose their energy. When you don't lose your energy, you don't lose your health, you don't lose your mental energy, you don't lose your spiritual power, it's wonderful. You are at the same time sexually active and at the same time a spiritual person. But there is more. Apparently you don't lose your pleasure either. Now we are having to look into that a second. Because again, man would believe, ah, if I don't ejaculate, it's not funny anymore what you get out of it. So basically, you can actually get the bliss out of it. And the funny thing is that, of course, your sexuality becomes incredibly strong. Usually sex stops because men and women, they get wasted and then they have to stop. But what if you never lose your sexual energy? If you never lose your sexual energy, it means you can continue for hours because you don't need to stop. Many people, especially in the case of women, they complain all the time that sex is too short, that actually they need a long time to get warmed up and to have orgasms, and men especially finish too quickly. This degree of virility has become dramatic. Uh, not only that men ejaculate so much that their sperm has become empty of content, and it's a well-known medical fact, that most Western men, they have such a poor sperm today that they cannot even make children. And they say perhaps it's because of the food, perhaps it's because of the lifestyle. No, it's not because of the food. It's because modern men ejaculate a thousand times more, hundred times more than they used to ejaculate in 1500s. And the body simply has some limits. If you do yoga for two months and you don't ejaculate, every man can have a very rich and powerful sperm if he refrains from losing it. But if you lose it, the body is not just a sperm producing machine and therefore the men com can't complain oh my sexual power is drained oh my body cannot produce sperm which is good quality and strong I cannot get my woman pregnant or whatever and stuff like this and the second thing is of course men complain oh I'm finishing too quickly all the time my woman can never reach her actual orgasm you'd be surprised to know that the Playboy magazine yes the notorious Playboy magazine has made a research in 1980s and in 1990s. They made a research about male virility. And the main factor which they used to measure it was the time which a man takes for reaching to ejaculation. 
you would be surprised about the results of it. In 1980, the statistics show that men in America averagely needed 10 minutes to reach ejaculation. And in 1990s, the same research done after 10 years, showed that men needed only 5 minutes to reach the ejaculation. So in 10 years, the men duration of love making has decreased down to half. You can imagine that if it kept decreasing down to half every 10 years, or if it kept before, we are very different than we used to be and we are very different than we will become if we are stupid. Basically, what I am trying to tell you is that the tantrics discovered the kind of ultimate sex therapy. Exactly as yoga, if you take it simply as gymnastics and stretching and still it's a very, very healing thing, a very amazingly healing thing, <coughs> the same thing is about, about sexual continence. Sexual continence is the ultimate sexual therapy. Basically, men who do Tantra, even if they are weak, impotent, whatever, they become super potent, unless, of course, there is some anatomic dysfunction, you are missing some part of your body or whatever. We don't talk about those. But men who are completely built and functionally built, if they do Tantra, they can develop a huge virility, they can make out for love for hours, not for minutes. Women in Tantra, they never complain about frigidity anymore, because every woman who gets to make love for two hours or four hours or whatever, she'll orgasm as many times as she wills, wishes. So basically the word frigidity is kind of not known in Tantra. It lasts until then. Also, it is a main couple therapy, like couples who are dysfunctional, who cannot reach together. If they do Tantra, they will have the time and the energy to explore their sexuality, to go deep, deep. Surely there are a lot of things here. Again, I can open a door to an infinite field. But remember, the first application of Tantra, it's kind of ultimate sexual healing. You are complaining something about something in your life, sexually speaking, it would be time to look a little bit into Tantra. It would be impossible that you do Tantra for two, three years, and after two, three years you should still say, yeah, I did Tantra for two, three years, but I'm still very much fucked up sexually, and so on. It's rare, rare cases who are completely refractory, it's like one in a million or whatever. Basically, Tantra works on the first level as a kind of total sexual healing. Uh, this being said, of course there are a million things, many people even get afraid. I met people when I told them you can make love for two hours or three hours, they get afraid and they say, boy, you are going to get really sore, doesn't it hurt to make love for three hours? No, actually it doesn't. There are people who get to make love the whole night and it doesn't hurt at all. It's actually wonderful and it's not that you are handicapped and you are the only one in this world who cannot. You just believe so because you have never tasted the honey. Well, after you will taste the honey, you will know the difference between honey and shit, and then you will be able to make the comparison. That is why uh, Tantra needs to be verified before it is actually believed. Many people can't believe that it is like this. Actually, yes, it requires, of course, the necessary adventurous spirit, but Tantra is a new sexuality, is a totally new form of sexuality. Even the motivation disappears, because the motivation is no more satisfaction. You know, many people, they just say, oh, I'm horny tonight, I'm full of uh, semen, you know, let's just have sex, I need to discharge. Well, in Tantra, as a man, you never discharge. So because of this, you are never going to make sex again because of needing to discharge. You can make love 
because of the need to communicate love because of the need to be in love because of the need to be one because of the need to experience bliss because of the need to give pleasure to somebody else but it's never an egoistic thing oh I need to discharge whom will I catch tonight to do my uh, pleasure with this kind of sexuality which is egoistic and animal disappears completely that's why Tantra is a bit of a revolution it turns you upside down and inside out completely it challenges all your motivations and that is why uh, Tantra even at this level is an amazing thing people who didn't try it they can't believe it they say oh it's impossible I have even read stupid things I was laughing with the guys the other day with some of the older pupils that I read in some sexual magazine not long ago that if a man stays in erection more than 45 minutes he will develop a chronic contraction a pain his blood vessels in the penis will explode he will get I don't know I mean it sounded really terrible it sounded like Armageddon you know well I know a lot of guys who are standing in erection 3-4 hours all the time whenever they do or something they never got anything bad out of it on the contrary they are very sex, very happy very sexual very developed and there is nothing wrong in it so basically there is a lot of things here think about the, not the need to fear pregnancy that many people they take pills they use condoms they do stuff what if, what if the man never ejaculates if the man never ejaculates the woman needs not bother about getting pregnant all this subconscious fear that oh my god maybe I get pregnant maybe this maybe we should use this maybe I should eat that whatever it disappears love is made for a totally different purpose <coughs> so basically starting from the dysfunction of the couples men and women imagine there are men and women they love each other they fit with each other but when they get in bed it's a catastrophe and then what to do either split and never be together again because we don't fit in bed or you know what sex is not everything let's forget about sex I like you very much I love you very much we fit intellectually very good <coughs> tough luck we don't feel sexual we don't fit sexually Tantra says you can make yourselves fit as well it's just a learning process it's just an adjusting process so you can learn this form of sexuality it is revolutionary and therapeutical in so many ways that I don't have the time to tell you even tonight all of it <coughs> I'm also getting to shout all over this uh, rain and everything else anyhow the idea is that first of all the tantric started from the need to discover a brahmacharya type of sexuality and they actually discovered something much more than this they discovered an amazing sexuality a very fulfilling sexuality in which men and women can enjoy pleasure for hours at a stretch without animal egoistic reasons without fear of pregnancy experience orgasm after orgasm and pleasure after pleasure go into blissful conditions be relaxed be feel be free don't feel guilty anymore about your body about sexuality about all kind of things <coughs> take it naturally it is inconceivable for us to conceive sex naturally for example the old Chinese in China <coughs> they recommended that parents could make love in front of the children because there is nothing shameful that the children should see their parents making love because actually the children came out in this world exactly because of that so what's so guilty for a child to see somebody making love including his parents imagine what a mentality how guilty and kinky we feel about sex 
that sex is something kinky, very private, it's hanky-panky, you should keep it hidden, you must not show it, you feel ashamed about it. And the Chinese said you can show it to your children, a whole family can witness when you make love, because what's so bad about making love? It's beautiful, it's an act of love. What's so guilty about making love? It's not dirty, it's not terrible, it's actually an act where you open up and you are so loving and you caress and you... What's, what's wrong about it? So I told you this to show how far we are even from a natural sexuality. That is why people doing Tantra, they have noticed a lot of healing, a lot of psychological, emotional, mental and yes, physical healing. I told you this story about the cancer of the genitals and breasts in the case of women. I have literally met women who came to yoga and they had cancer in the breasts and in the genitals and they were told the best thing besides Hatha Yoga and things like this, Udhyana Bandha, would be to start making Tantra in the natural way, in the Tantric way, to make love in the Tantric way and sublime the energy. I have met women who after they made love in the Tantric way for several hours every day, they went to the doctor, they had no more tumors, no more nodules, no nothing. The doctor was flabbergasted, he said you just came three weeks ago and you had a big tumor and now what did you do? So she said I made love, I made love a lot, not love five minutes, I made love five hours but you don't know anything about that because you think that love making lasts five minutes and if you do it 45 minutes you'll get ill or something like this. So basically Tantra is an amazing offer, it's a new form of sexuality at this level but then the Tantrics have gone deeper. That's why this was called Tantra Yoga. If something is called Yoga, something, Kriya Yoga, Karma Yoga, Tantra Yoga, then automatically it means it's a path which reaches the Samadhi. How will Tantra Yoga reach to Atman, to Nirvana, to spiritual realization? Can love making become a source of enlightenment? The Tantrics have said yes. That is even more irritating for the ascetics. Ascetic people, they get totally mad if you tell them that you can make love and reach Samadhi or Nirvana. Because again, it makes them look foolish. That's why you should not rub it in the eyes of people. This information is for those who can understand it, for those who can have it. The others they will discover in their own good time. What's the issue? The Tantrics have said, wait, if Tantra would be only this, just continence, then somebody could say, ha, clever devils, you know? I mean, these guys, they had a problem that they couldn't uh, waste the ojas. And they invented, they found a way to bypass it, to circumvene it. Wow, you know, clever people, after all. They managed to find a way where they can have plenty of sex and action, and yet their ojas is intact. They do meditation, they do prayer. Ha, tricky, the human spirit is so innovative, is so ingenious, you will always find a solution. But it's more than this. The tantrics have said, wait, there must be something deeper here. They have thought about it like this. They have said, let's see what is this sex, because it seems to be so powerful. People are driven crazy by this sex, sex desire and so on. And let's look in nature, the whole nature seems to be sexual. From the very bottom to the top of the manifestation, everything is plus and minus, yin and yang, solar and, and lunar. Everything is opposites, and the opposites naturally attract each other. The plus attracts minus in electricity, the north attracts south in magnetism. That's all they say. The yogis say, of course, male attracts female. It is as simple as that. Uh, this is the law of nature. And then they said, but what is this sexual power? 
the most simple cell in your body divides by a sexual process so your, your cells have sexuality the most simple amoeba, the most simple monocellular organism on this planet has sex atoms themselves, they are made of electrons which are minus and protons which are plus there is sex in the atom from the galaxies which attract each other and finishing with mythology where the immortal gods of India and Tibet and whoever they are men and women Shiva and Parvati, Brahma and Sarasvati, Vishnu and Lakshmi they are all male female what a, the whole universe is sexual isn't it? the whole universe is plus and minus the whole universe is opposite so what is this force? wow! <coughs> they said okay so the force of male and female that sexual attraction is just the natural attraction between the plus and the minus like in electricity aha so what am I telling here that the male and the female naturally attract each other and basically a man is attracted by a woman simply because she is his counterpart she is its opposite she is his mirror image she is his minus while he is the plus he is the sun she is the moon right they are the opposites that means you can say oh I am attracted to that woman because she is beautiful or she is like this a woman can say oh I am attracted to that man because his voice is like this and, but basically the tantric yogis would say no the attraction is the attraction of the plus and the minus and what does it result when you put plus and minus together well plus and minus together in electricity and everywhere else they give zero they give neutrality they give annihilation that means when you put the male and the female together you are getting zero something which is beyond sex zero in India is called shunya and shunya means void when you get the annihilation of the plus and minus that is the vacuity, the emptiness, the voidness from the Buddhism that is the absolute, the transcendent Atma, Atman, the Supreme Self is the one which is neither male nor female which is above the sexuality that means what did I just say? I said that by putting the male and the female together we can reach Atman we can reach voidness we can reach Brahman we can reach the Absolute amazing conclusion it results that actually from the union of a plus with a minus you can reach the Absolute incredible this sounds that therefore the sexual attraction is a mysterious spiritual attraction it says that when you are attracted there is a kind of subconscious intuition of the fact that merging with the other can make you reach zero can make you reach the absolute can make you reach the infinite the transcendent therefore the tantrics have said sexual attraction sexual desire is actually spiritual desire that is why you need to be sexual to reach spiritual realization because the, sa the same force which is giving you sexuality is the same force which is giving you the desire for union to become one so basically in plain American language this would sound something like this the more horny you are the more spiritual you are but you didn't know it because the sexual desire is actually desire to become one but you don't know what to do with it you are having a great urge, a great boil in you you are boiling with it it's actually that you yearn so much it's a nostalgia it's a feeling that you can become one but you don't really know how to do it you go in sex the ordinary way the ignorant way there is little pleasure there is lots of pain there is emotional trouble you are losing your ojas 
basically you don't reach the nirvana better luck next time next time again you boil again your eyes are sparkling with energy again you are full of it boom fiasco again what to do well that's exactly what to do because you are doing it without the continence you waste the energy you explode it basically the tantric yogi said that you are just skimming the surface of ecstasy and you are never going in it actually but sexuality is a source of ecstasy it is a source of nirvana many people can say it sounds very beautiful on paper but how does that work in actual fact in actual fact the yogi say that actually it can be proven that it was always under your nose that sex can produce ecstasy that thing is called orgasm that's what orgasm is orgasm is the fleeting and oh so short moment when the plus mixes with the minus and you reach a state of zero that is why the orgasm is a transcendent state it's like a supreme, it's like a supreme bliss it's like a supreme drug orgasm makes you depersonalize like for a few minutes it's like you are not yourself for a few seconds I'm sorry orgasm is like you are out of time out of space it's simply like a condition of bliss but the problem is twofold one orgasm is going away so quickly that you don't have time to look into it what it is it just comes and goes it lasts a few seconds usually and second when orgasm comes you also explode and because you explode your energy goes down and you cannot have another one and another one and another one and basically you are flat all you want is to go to bed and sleep and bye bye meditation bye bye awakening bye bye arousing of spiritual energy so basically the tantrics have said if you could stay in orgasm for a long time then you would see what orgasm is so basically what is tantra? tantra at this level is that ejaculation discharging is a no 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 but orgasm is a yes 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 to orgasm to have bliss and pleasure as much as possible yet without exploding so you don't lose the pressure in your kettle so basically the tantrics have said have realized that orgasm is the beginning of ecstasy that's why many people when they meditate if they meditate well and they start having samadhi states they say it feels so weird I was meditating and suddenly I felt like I was orgasming in my head and I started orgasming all over and it got even frightening yes ecstasy and samadhi is a kind of orgasm taking to a great length and to a cosmic dimension that's why Bhagavan Sri Rajneesh he called samadhi a cosmic orgasm an orgasm taken to a huge dimension like hyper orgasming not just orgasming casually so in this way the tantrics they have come with a theory they went the practice of course it's substantiated by practice that the tantric path is not only to hold your semen your sexual energy not to explode it but to guide it in such a way that you can get into this blissful state of orgasm again and again and that you can thus use it so basically uh, the tantrics are learning a trick according to which not only that you don't discharge but also you learn to prolong the orgasm you learn to enter in orgasm slowly and you can stay in it for incredible amounts of time without discharging 
When my teacher told me for the first time many years ago that it was possible for a man to orgasm half an hour non-stop or more, I thought that he spoke metaphorically or that it was a kind of way of encouraging me into it. Then when I realized it was possible, I even asked myself how it is possible because many people say, oh no, you cannot orgasm more than 30 seconds. I mean, even when the orgasm is just 30 seconds and you feel you are exploding into pieces, you know, you feel it's like it's too much. It's like your body is going to snap, to burst. I mean, will you ever resist? If you, can you actually orgasm five minutes non-stop? Yes, you can. You can orgasm 45 minutes non-stop and even more. That is why a guru from Madurai, from South India, was telling to Omar Garrison, the first man who wrote an excellent book of Tantra in the 70s, that actually when you start making love the tantric way, everything which you have done until then, even the best sex which you had, is like having had sex with a dummy in the window of a shop. Because you simply cannot compare it. You cannot compare 15 seconds orgasms with 45 minutes orgasms. It's simply impossible. Even if you had excellent sex and you are a sex machine and a very happy sex person, you cannot compare it because when you orgasm for long, you get to meditate in it, you are so blasted that it's like more powerful than the most powerful drug. If you stay 15 minutes in orgasm, is much more than if you have taken LSD or anything of it. You are getting in such a state of mind. For example, science has demonstrated that in sexual activity, even short one, your brain starts producing endorphins. Endorphins is the natural morphine produced by the body. So if you stay in orgasm 30 minutes, it's like your brain produces endorphins big time melatonin and all kinds of other things are produced which even in the meaning of simple chemistry of the brain that simply means it's like you take a drug when you make love for long it's like you are blasted it's like you forget about yourself it's like you forget about your ego you forget about your problems your stress is gone your health is harmonized your energy is boosted your healing is amazing and everything and you can reach higher states of consciousness you can reach ecstatic states of consciousness so basically Tantra, it was not just a continence, but it was a way of reaching high states of consciousness, Samadhi, by simply meditating in the states of orgasm. So the Tantrics have learned all kinds of nice ways of making love, slow, meditative, with the use of mantras being very much in orgasm, in which you stay in that state and actually enjoy some amazing state of consciousness. That was the thing of it and the tantrics therefore said that's a totally different spiritual adventure tantra eventually becomes here <coughs> a path in which a man and a woman together they can build samadhi they can build ecstasy basically <coughs> the tantric line is a line in which a man and a woman learn to reach samadhi together basically normal spirituality says that a, ma a man and a woman they can do meditation, vipassana, laya yoga, whatever they do, Tibetan Buddhist meditation and if they do meditation for 20 years they will reach to a state of ecstasy, nirvana, enlightenment but it's a kind of personal adventure I am reaching my nirvana and you are reaching your nirvana the tantrics say a man and a woman together they can make love and they can both reach it together it's like a so beautiful thing to reach 
the divine, to reach the absolute together, a man and a woman. What a spiritual adventure, what a relationship. Not a relationship just to eat popcorns and to watch television. A relationship in which a man and a woman search for God together and they reach the infinite together. That's the real relationship. That's the total relationship. That's the acme of a relationship. Spiritual realization, it's like we are together, spiritual seekers, we are best friends, we are brother and sister, we are man and woman, we are searching for the absolute together, hand in hand, even through our sexuality. Sexuality gets a meaning. Many teenagers say, oh shit, I'm having the sex and I don't even know what it is. You know, it's like we have a sex, what do we do with it? Uh, I'm having a sexual function, shall I just hit the population with it or that? What is sex made for? Oh yes, we know, sex is made for making children, but we don't want to have children right now. So what else? Well, then I should feel guilty, right? Because sex without children is like, it's a guilt. What is sex made for? Because it seems to be made for progeny. Actually, the tantric say, sex is having a spiritual meaning, it's a spiritual discovery, it's a way to rise Kundalini, it's a way to become one, it's a way to unify the male and the female, it's a meditation, it's a cosmic organ, it is spiritual realization in a couple. So actually sexuality has a meaning, but it's lost, people don't know it anymore. You, sex is not just a chaotic thing, you do it with a purpose. In Tantra Yoga, sex is not a need. It's an exercise. You can say, darling, are we going to try to make some tantra tomorrow because it's about time that we did. It's a spiritual exercise. Exactly as you stand on your head, you do tantra. Not because you are horny and you need it. It's beyond need. I am beyond need. I do it because tantra is a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual exercise. Ah, it should not be artificial. I cannot do it against myself if I don't feel like if I rather would sit and meditate, then I sit and meditate. I should not be artificial. I must be myself. But if I'm having this energy there, then I can as well use it and say, okay, I've got the energy. I would like to use this energy here. So then, it's like a man and a woman become comrades. They become partners. They join hands and they say, I like you. You like me. It's not a forced thing, I mean, I'm not forced to make love with you, in spite of the fact that I don't like you. No, I like you, you like me, so between us there can also exist a tantric relationship. Shall we try to join our energies together, see what comes out of it? Shall we put our male and female energy together in the tantric way and try to see if we can reach higher states of consciousness? Maybe this adventure will reach to Samadhi. So after all, we can become ideal, we can develop a perfect relationship, a wonderful relationship. That is Tantra. Tantra is the attempt of a man and a woman to become partners on the spiritual path and to reach Samadhi by using their sexual function. Everybody who has got a lot of sexual energy and they would like to use it, therefore they can make Tantra. If you are not having any sexual energy or you believe you don't have, you know, then just do some shoulder stand, do some hatha yoga, forget about sex, sex is not an issue for you. You can do meditation, you can do art, but if you are interested in sex, if you are oozing with sex, if you are having a lot of sexual energy, then you can use it for spiritual purposes. It has a meaning, it's a spiritual exercise, it's not just making progeny. So basically, 
Tantric yoga is preaching a kind of complete relationship that a man and a woman are not just making a social pact, okay, let's sign some papers, you are my wife, I'm your husband, I owe you respect, you owe me respect, you know, it's a formality. It's like the pact we did. Many people just get to stand each other, you know, okay, I have learned your shit, you have learned my shit, I can respect you, you can respect me, we can live a life together. Tantric Yoga speaks about a total relationship, a man and a woman searching a relationship not only on the low chakras, but on the higher ones also. That means the Tantric Yogi saying a man and a woman make love in the moment when their Kundalini starts rising because the orgasm is so much, the energy is rising in the man and in the woman and it's exactly like you button a shirt up chakra by chakra, their chakras come together, it's like you pull a zipper up they come together, first they are united down here, right? but then slowly, when their kundalini is reaching anahata chakra already their heart chakras are open, they are in love that's why for example tantra yoga says that it is a search for love you cannot do tantra if you do not search love you cannot make tantra without wanting to be in love if you want to do tantra without love it's like prostitution it's like you fake the meaning of tantra you cannot have sex for an idea you need to have sex because you search for love there are people on this planet who are even afraid to fall in love really in love, totally in love tantra says you cannot reach the higher state unless you fall in love, you have to have the courage to throw yourself in the unknown and to fall in love Tantra is a search of love a man and a woman who made Tantra correctly for a number of weeks, months and years unavoidably they will love each other it's impossible to put the sexual energy together and to rise it and not to feel love at one point or another that is why <coughs> Tantra is wonderful, Tantra is very idealistic, it believes in love, it believes that you can go united even on the higher chakras, thus acquiring the spiritual union, not only in love, but also to have the same spiritual universe, like the man and the woman think alike, they have the same way of thinking, they have the same spiritual universe, it's a complete union, it's a sexual union, it's an affective union, and it is a spiritual union, basically it's a complete union it's like the union of Radha and Krishna it's an archetypal union it's the perfect cycle it's the androgen the androgen, that's why I wrote it of Plato Plato said that the human souls are like halves the gods out of envy for the perfection of the human soul they split it in two halves and the two halves keep searching for each other through incarnations over incarnations until one day you discover the one who is your half and then paradise opens, you become whole again, it's like we are only half, we need the other half Tantra is exactly the practical application of the idea of Plato it says search for your half, discover your half to tantric love making take someone and become one, become one totally the tantrics don't like middle of the way, halfway relationships the tantrics in this way are extreme they are a bit fanatics, they say casual relations, middle relationships, you have had as much as you wanted. If you have lived 5,000 lifetimes until now, how many wives and lovers you have had in 5,000 lifetimes? 
So many. Where are they now? You might meet them on the street and not even know that this man or woman was your lover in a previous life. Where are the oaths of fidelity which you did it? The time has ground them into dust, right? You cannot even remember. So basically, is love transient? Are you going to forget the ones that you love in this life so easily? When you will be dead, it will be gone and forgotten? Do we just want to have stupid little relationships like this? No. The tantric said, we are fed up with this. Rather than having stupid relationships like this, I better live alone and consecrate myself to meditation or philosophy or something. Because I'm fed up with stupid relationships. I would like to have significant relationships. Relationships that can last beyond death. Relationships which are meant for finding God. The relationships which are spiritual. That is why the Tantric said, out nihil, out Caesar. Either I have a full relationship, or better, not at all. We can be extreme at this. That is why the Tantrics of India and Tibet, they are in search of the ultimate relationship, of the Shiva Parvati type of relationship, of the Krishna and Radha type of relationship. They are total romantics. The Tantrics of India and Tibet, they believe in eternal love. They believe in absolute love. They believe in a love which is stronger than life and death. They believe in eternity. They believe in the absolute. But they are not romantic without ground. They are romantics with the ground. They say that is perfect love, but to get it you will need to sweat blood. It is a lot of work to reach there because you are egoistic, you are limited, you are afraid, you are imperfect. You will need to put your ass to work to be able to reach eternal love indeed love indeed so in this way the tantric say there is a way where there is a will there is a way so basically the tantric path is a path also of reaching eternal love the perfect relationship the perfect accomplishment of this that is why tantra is such a beautiful path but remember it's not so easy because we are endowed with a lot of ego, with a lot of limitation, with a lot of obscurity, and we may say, oh, I'm longing for perfect love. Yes, let's see how quickly will you bite the dust when it actually comes daily life experience. Are you able to live up to that? You ask for perfect love, but can you give perfect love? Are you selfless enough? Do you know what perfect love means actually? Can you live in such a state Basically, then we discover how invalid we are, how maimed we are, how incomplete and egoistic we are. And because of this, the tantric path is difficult. It is not for kids. It's an adventure. It's a relationship. It's a sexual adventure in which people who are emotionally immature, they should better not come because you can break so easily. Tantra, it is for people who are strong, who are mature, who are balanced, and who are having enough courage to throw themselves in a total adventure. That means, wow, there is no safety net at this one. You are just going to fall yourself in love, to throw yourself in totality. It's like playing everything on a dice almost. It is therefore need for courage. That's why in India they say that Tantra is a very beautiful path. It's, many people would say, wow, some people meditate 30 years in Vipassana and some people make love for hours every day and they orgasm for hours every day. Which path would you prefer? Wow. Many people would say, wow, yoga with orgasm really sounds cool after all, you know, because it's kind of so ecstatic, so pleasurable. It is, but you are going to pay through the nose for it. 
because the tantric yoga is not easy it requires diet it requires hatha yoga it requires self-discipline it, requ- it will confront you with a lot of shitty emotions such as jealousy and a lot of stuff which comes out of you it will confront you with a lot of things which else you might have avoided if you just did vipassana that's why some people say no 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 I don't know if I can confront this I'm very shitty at this I'll do the other that's why perhaps not everybody is fit for tantra tantra is famed as being very powerful very pleasant it's also famed throughout India and Tibet as being a very quick method but believe me when a method is quick the slope becomes very steep that is why Tantra is confronted, confronting you in a short time with a lot of tests and with a lot of trials that is why uh, Tantra is beautiful but it is for people who feel prepared to test their strength with the sexual power and it is definitely not for people who are immature and it requires a certain courage the tantric yoga texts from India they divide the human beings in three categories the first category is the common category and is called Pashu and it, is, it disrespectfully means cattle, animals most people are cattle they say the second category which is already rare is called Vira and it means heroes people who are heroic, who have enough courage to risk everything, to throw themselves in an adventure and finally Divya or Daivya the people who are divine the people who are spiritualized, realized Tantra says, the Tantric texts say Tantra is made for the Vira type of people if you are heroic, if you have courage if you are not afraid of what other people will think or do about you if you are willing to risk then Tantra is the kind of adventure that fits to you remember without a bit of courage Tantra is confronting you with a lot of things that is why the Tantric Yoga was kept secret it's a privileged path many people write books and they think oh Tantra is just sexual oriental sex, Indian sex hanky-panky sex or whatever it's none of this it's a very serious metaphysical doctrine it's a very hard work sometimes you need to do a lot of things and sacrifices to do it usually Tantra needs the surveillance of a teacher a guru as they call it in India because there are so many pitfalls and so many things there it's a difficult learning and of course it has its own beautiful parts it is so fast, so powerful but remember Tantra is not easy Tantra is a difficult thing altogether that's why many people are attracted and they say oh tantric yoga, hooray, yoga with sex, let's do it yeah, up till a certain level everybody can and should use the sexual continence because you need so much brahmacharya and without brahmacharya your spiritual efforts become very difficult they become nil but if you want to explore tantra to the bottom if you want to reach the level of Krishna and of Radha if you want to reach the levels of Shiva and Parvati in Tantra then you will need to have a very serious practice it's not a joke anymore, it's not just hanky-panky and a lot of pleasure then it's a lot of self-discipline it's a lot of meditation it is mantras it is a lot of things involved there it's a whole study in many many things of the human being that's why Tantra is very thrilling, very attractive many people choose to do it 
and uh, we are giving guidance to people who want to do it that means in this first month course you will not get to hear more about Tantra but if you will ask either in public or in private you will hear we, we can make those separate meetings then you can ask more questions about what to do, how to do it is my experience that people actually love Tantra they like to try it it's not without difficulty for everyone in the beginning but uh, that people find a big salvation in this Tantra because actually it allows them to be sexually active, to do a lot of healing and stuff and at the same time to do spirituality I could say a million things more but my voice is not holding much more yet and it's late <coughs> basically I told you the elementary truth we started from Brahmacharya and wherever you go you cannot forget about Brahmacharya you take Tantra books and out of 10 Tantra books, 9 books don't even tell that men and women should hold their energy and they should do Brahmacharya that's simply a betrayal of Tantra, it's a prostitution of Tantra they write books of Tantra because they know that sex sells always when you write something about sex and you put a bit of naughty photos in the book everybody will buy it like warm, like warm bread but they actually write books which are called Tantra but they are not about Tantra because first of all they don't speak about the sexual continence which is the cornerstone the ABC of Tantra remember there cannot be Tantra if you are not a Brahmachari if you are not doing the sexual continence you simply cannot fulfill it everything in Tantra relies on Brahmacharya, on sexual continence so basically one way or the other you need to give yourself some time of thinking about the sexual energy because unfortunately with this one you haven't got much choice the sexual energy is an issue you need to conserve it either you conserve it this way or you conserve it that way or you make a cocktail of your own some private mixture of it but you will need to go into this dimension you need to control the sexual power you need to control the sexual energy one way or another I will not say more, I will take your questions, we can talk a little bit about this then in the next days after Monday and so on, if you will be interested we can make some other meetings for it that's the big story of it, and that's the little known issue about the tantric sexuality which is an exceptional sexuality, a rich sexuality, a divine sexuality after all a wonderful sexuality, but which is reserved to the, to the few who have the understanding and the courage to go into that dimension of yoga. I'm on your side. Questions, problems, other issues that you may have, and then we'll part. Please. Are you going to arrange the meeting this evening? Right, but if you talk with the other men, because you, need, you are not alone, yeah. so you need to look at the other men and decide with them. I, for one, am usually free around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock p.m., 2 o'clock is a bit late already because it's course at 3.30 so let's say 1.30 so we can establish such a meeting if you as a man want but if you are the only one that wants you better meet with me on some evening meeting or on Sunday and talk if there are at least 2-3 who would come I'll make such meeting and so therefore you better ask the others decide with the others then we decide the day next week 1.30pm we meet the same is valid for the ladies So and so, if you lose ojas, you don't lose what you have acquired until that moment, although there will be some decreasing in your potential. It's like suddenly you will be more flat 
at least for a period of time while your body is in the, in the system. But I cannot say that your sexual energy automatically that would mean that you lose all the spiritual benefits until that. It's a way that men and women who do Brahmacharya the tantric way and who keep their energy for a number of months, if they do that, if they at some point suffer energy, they can feel the difference. The energy, and for two weeks I was like a zombie, you know, I could really feel it. I could feel the difference to very close forever the spiritual effect. Whatever you acquired spiritually, is inherent. You have it already. So say you get in some bad days, some low. You have some low days afterwards. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com/downloads.